Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Audio Podcasts. Today, our teaching leader, Brett Tatko, will be discussing the glory of God's creation in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles, and join Brett as he shares truths from God's Word. Hey everyone, welcome to the second week of BSF. Last week was our introduction, getting a sense of the Bible, getting a sense of Genesis, and tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis 1. I, I was thinking about the way you know, the Bible begins, and I was reminded of the movie called The Princess Bride. There is a great scene where Inigo Montoya is needing to explain to Wesley exactly what has happened that has resulted in their need to siege the castle and, and Wesley's present paralysis. And he begins by saying, let me explain. And then he says, no, there's too much. Let me sum up. Definitely, as we look at Genesis 1, this is a summary. God provided this information to Moses. It's a summary of what he did. There would be too much if, if God tried to impart to Moses all of the steps, all the processes, all the detail of the creation of the world and the universe. The other thing we have to keep in mind is that not only is this a summary, but God is an infinite being who is way smarter than we are, and we are finite. And so it's a summary, but it's also had to be simplified. It has to be simplified to a way that we can understand uh, what the key points are from God's creative work. And uh, you know, as the Israelite reader came to this passage, there was problems, there were issues, there were challenges that they were facing. Vicky talked, Vicky talked about this last week. There was a problem, and Genesis was part of God's solution to that problem. Many modern readers come to the book of Genesis, and they find their questions about the origins of the universe, uh, the evolution of species, whether it was one literal day or seven literal days or you know some long period of time. Modern readers sometimes come to this book and they are dissatisfied with the summary and the details that God has provided. But again, remember, Genesis was not written to us. It was written to the Israelite people. But Genesis has been written for us. We are welcome to share in this literature, in this this historical, factual literature that God has preserved through the generations. Moses wrote it down. We don't have the thing that Moses wrote on. But we have copies, and it has been preserved, and so we have the account of Genesis that we can look at, that we can learn from, Uh, and there are definitely things in the book of Genesis that even though it wasn't written to us, are still relevant for us. And so what are some of those things? Well, the main thing that I think we can learn is that God reveals himself to his people through his word. God reveals himself to his people through his word. And there are three things that I'm going to look at. There's probably more that we could find, but there's three we're going to look at tonight, three characteristics of God that shine through in these passages we looked at in Genesis 1. They are, number one, his supreme authority. Number two, we're going to look at God as being the source of all life. And number three, we're going to learn that God has an unconditional love for people. So let's start off. Grab your Bibles. 
We're in Genesis 1. Hopefully, it's easy to find. It should be right at the beginning. And that's how Genesis begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the scene has been set, and God is going to uh, demonstrate his supreme authority. The main way that we see that shine through in this passage, in in these verses that we looked at, is we are going to see God speak. We are going to see the power of God's voice, and then we're going to see the universe respond. Uh, And we see that happen throughout this first section of, of the passage. God says something. And then that thing happens right right away in Genesis 1-3, let there be light, and then there was light. So God is going through with his voice, he is creating. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that the way that God did this creation is that that what is seen was made out of things that are not visible. And so God made things out of nothing, and light is an example of that. The way that he created the plants is an example of that. God spoke, and then there were plants. God spoke, and then there were animals, there were fish, there were birds, and it was the power of God's voice bringing something that was invisible or not not able for us to discern it and bringing it into creation. And so that's one way that God's words function in the book of Genesis or at least in Genesis 1.1. Another thing that we see is God is doing gathering and separating in these passages. We see that with light and darkness right away in Genesis chapter or Genesis 1 verse 4. God saw the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So there's a separating that happens there. We see a separation with the waters, Genesis 1.6, when he makes the expanse. We see a gathering. There is a gathering of the waters that occurs in Genesis 1.10. And what this really is, is God is bringing order. God is bringing order to the created realm. And the reality is, and you and I might know this from having a messy closet, is that that which is ordered requires effort to maintain order. And so we see God ordering the universe. We see him ordering his creation uh, throughout the course of Genesis 1. So he creates He gathers and he separates. And then what we also see God doing with his voice is that he names things. First of all, he names day, night, heaven, earth, sea. And this is an important thing to know about God. When God names something, probably worth paying attention to. We're going to see God name people uh, throughout the book of Genesis or rename people. Uh, But God names things. And when God names something, pay close attention. There's something important that's going on. God just doesn't pick fun names right? Maybe my mom and dad thought Brett was a fun name to say, and it just rolled off the tongue. Uh, God has a reason that he chooses names to give things, and so pay attention to God's names. We also see God delegating his authority. Now, the, the time that he does this in our passage is to the moon and the sun. Uh, this occurs uh, in the fourth day when God makes the moon, he makes the sun, and he says that they are going to rule over the day and night. So, so God as the creator has delegated some kind of authority to rule, whatever that means, whatever it means that the, that the moon rules over the night and that the sun rules over the day. This is something that God set up and we hear him say it. He says he, he delegated the authority. He gave permission to the sun uh, to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And God declared that it was good. 
And finally, we see God speaking blessing uh, in this first chapter. The blessing that we have in this passage is in verse 22. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And so there's a blessing that God pronounced uh, to the creatures that had been created thus far. We're going to see additional blessings that God speaks. But these are the kinds of things that God's voice is going to do throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, we are going to see God speaking. Uh, we are going to see God talking to his creation, talking to Adam and Eve. And one of the questions, I've talked about God as being the supreme authority. One of the questions that comes out of this is, what kind of supreme authority is he? There may be countries that we can think of, or perhaps in your family, there was someone who acted as a supreme authority, and you know maybe they weren't that great. But, but God's actions, when God speaks, the result is good. And we see that five times throughout this passage. We see it in Genesis 1.10, we see it in 1.12, 1.18, 121, and finally 125. Five times the result of God speaking was good. And we'll ultimately see next week that it was very good. And also, uh, you know, God speaking to people, God speaking to Noah or speaking to Abraham or speaking to Adam and Eve, I would suggest for you as we go through Genesis, keep a close eye on when God talks to his people, because that is going to really drive the narrative forward. Uh, we see it happen here in Genesis 1. God begins to speak and all of a sudden the, the universe is coming to existence. And when God begins to speak to his people, we're going to see the story of Genesis move forward. And so keep an eye out for God's speaking uh, as we go through the book of Genesis. And even as, we, as you look through the whole Bible, when God talks, watch what happens. It's going to be exciting. Uh, really, the, the principle or the idea is that God has authority over his creation. God has authority over his creation. Uh, I also mentioned that God is the source of all life. And so we see that happen in this in this passage. On the three different days when plant life, bird and fish life, and land creatures are created, God brings that forth. He brings it forth with his voice, but he is also the one who brings forth the life in those creatures. We'll see it in better detail next week when we look at the creation of man and woman. But we can also see that many different kinds of animals and plants were brought forward. We see it several times where God says, where the passage says, according to its kind. There were different types of plants. There were different types of fish. There were different types of birds and animals that God brought forward. We also see that God's goal for life is not just that he was going to make six or seven or 12 or 2,000 birds, and that was the end. Uh, God made his, his creation to have the ability to produce offspring. We see that in the blessing that's spoken to the, to the birds and to the fish, be fruitful and multiply. And so part of God's plan, part of God's creation of life was that offspring would fill the earth. Offspring would flourish, offspring would grow, and the earth would be filled with the good things that God created. And offspring is a huge theme that will travel through the book of Genesis. We're going to see children that are born as, as a promise. We're going to see women that are having problems bearing children. We are going to see offspring playing a huge role as the story of Genesis unfolds. So keep an eye out for that. And the reality is, is that God didn't just speak into creation and say, that's it, it's over, it's done. God's plan for creation was much bigger than what happened in the account of Genesis 1. When God created the, you know, the universe, when God created animals, when God created people, his vision was that they would have offspring. 
God knew that Moses was coming. God knew that Noah was coming. God knew that Abraham was coming. There was more to God's plan than the individual things that he made in this first week, whether it's literal or figurative. Uh, But we are going to meet a bunch of people that God was expecting to show up on the face of planet Earth. Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca. These are people we're going to meet in the book of Genesis. They are part of God's plan. God had a specific role for these people to play as the narrative of Genesis unfolds. And friends, for you and I, we are wrapped up in part of God's plan. We are the result of offspring for generations and generations. And the reality for you and I is the same as the reality for Adam and Eve and Noah and Sarah and Hagar. The reason that we exist is because we're in God's plan. God has some purpose, some objective that he wanted them to carry out. And there is some purpose for you and I to carry out. It's not the same purpose. It's not the same mission, but God has a purpose for each one of us. And uh, we can discover that when we seek to understand God and hear his voice better, when we listen and respond to him in the same pattern that Abraham and Noah and Adam and Eve and Sarah did. The other thing about life is that we see this pattern of life push forward into the New Testament as well. Jesus sort of conf- Jesus does confirm that he has a similar mission to God. God brought about physical life. He brought about a perfect life for the people in the, in the first part of Genesis. And Jesus explains to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, hey, you need to be reborn. You need to have, you have physical life, but you also need to have spiritual life. Uh, Jesus said to the people that I've come that they may have life and have life to the full in John 10.10. Now we're going to learn in the coming weeks what happened. Uh, God's creation was good. God's creation was very good. And then in the future, there was a need for Jesus to come to restore to recover what had been lost because of the results of sin that's going to happen in Genesis 3. But the reality is, and the principle for this this idea of God being the source of all life, is that God intends life as a blessing. God intended life as a blessing. Now, you might be saying, if my life is a blessing, I'm not interested in this God. I'm not interested in receiving it. My life does not feel like a blessing. I don't feel like God has blessed me, in air quotes. Um, you know, hang on. Uh, we're going to look at what went wrong when, when God's creation chose to rebel. We're going to see that in Genesis 3, and we're going to understand some of the consequences that flowed out of Adam and Eve and mankind's choice uh, to reject what God has done. But the reality is, is that that sin makes our life more challenging, right? If you think about your day, if you think about your week, your month, your year, and you're wondering like, how's it been going? How have I been doing? What's my life been like? Maybe it felt empty. Maybe it felt pointless. Maybe it felt difficult. Maybe it felt uncertain. And and the reality for you and I is that sin makes life harder than it it really needs to be. And so the question for, for you and I is, what do we need to confess to the Lord? What sin do we have to unburden ourselves of so that we can experience part, uh, in part, we won't experience maybe a perfect life until you know Jesus returns and those who follow him go to heaven, but what is it that we can throw off of ourselves and onto, and onto the forgiveness of Jesus uh, now to help make life feel less empty, less burdensome, and more of a blessing? My third point is that um, God has unconditional love for his people. 
Uh, and, and this is a little bit of a, of a hidden point, but I think if, as, we, as I thought about this and as I was thinking about the amount of time, and again, I, you know, I realize that time is a complicated phrase, but when I think about God's plan, the time that God spent to put together his plan for creation, the time that he spent carrying out, we haven't gotten to the end yet, we're at the middle of the sixth day at the end of verse uh, 25. God has put in a great amount of thought, not only in terms of what he was going to do on each of the days of creation that we see in the book of Genesis, but next week we're going to see God create people. And look at the effort and attention that he put into this. You know, the, all the details that we've come to know, you know, through observation and science about how light works and, you know, that we understand different things about water and we understand atoms and we understand electrons and neutrons and there's all this detail that God imparted into the universe, uh, the size of the universe that God brought forward to make a place for people to dwell. Remember, this is a God that was already fully content in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were lacking nothing. They were perfectly content, perfectly complete, but yet God chose to bring about a universe. If we think about these first days of creation that we've learned about, this is all in preparation for humans to be brought onto the scene. God spent incredible time and effort in detail, and I realize that I'm, I'm using human terms to apply to God. God is, is, has unlimited power, and so it probably was not a big deal for him to make the universe. But he chose to do it to reveal his character to us. Uh, and so... God has a desire. Uh, he had a desire to make people. He has a desire to, to, to stay with people. And the principle is for this section is that God loves people. God loves us. God loves the people that he has created. I was privy to a conversation that happened uh, with a, a friend of mine about her mobile phone. And the screen stopped working. It was a new phone at one point. It's not a new phone anymore. And the screen stopped working. And the friend had her phone repaired. And within a couple of days, the screen stopped working again. Now, you could hear it in her voice as she told the story. She was frustrated. My friend is, has authority over her mobile phone. She bought it. She paid for it. It, it. It's supposed to do things for her, let her make phone calls, answer text messages, whatever. And my friend had decided that she was going to have the phone repaired. She didn't give up on her phone. I would have thrown it away. I would have gotten a new phone. I would have discarded my old phone and, and chose to start again. And the reality is, is that things start to go wrong with the created order pretty early on in, in the book of Genesis. And we really want to look at what does God do when things go wrong with us? What does God do when things go wrong with his creation? The good news for you and for me and for the world is that God does not throw us away. He doesn't throw his creation away like an old cell phone. Uh, God has spent great effort not only to bring forward a world that we can live in, not only to maintain a world that we can that we can thrive in, but He has worked to restore us to Himself when when rebellion started to show up in Genesis three. What, how do we respond? How do we respond to a God who has such a deep, deep love for His people? What can we say? What can we do to 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 refuse a God who is willing to not only make a place for us, create us, but then ultimately come to earth and live as a man and die so that you and I can live. 
One of the things that Vicki mentioned last week as she talked about Genesis is that Genesis is a, a bit of a box top for the rest of the Bible. And certainly as we look through Genesis 1, that's going to definitely be shown to be true. Some of the attributes and the things that we learned about, whether it's God's authority, whether it is God as being the source of life, whether it's God's unconditional love, those trends, there's other things that we can learn in this passage besides those three. But those trends are going to continue uh, throughout all of Scripture. We're going to see, again, God's authority confirmed elsewhere in the Bible, and they're going to continue in the New Testament. And one of the things that Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry was establishing, hey, some of those same things that you saw God do, I'm doing those things. So we, we saw God have this supreme authority over all of creation. God said, let there be light, and it happened. And then Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus had control. He had authority over the creation. Other places in the Bible, Jesus was, uh, he rebuked the storm and the wind and the waves stopped. Jesus established his authority over creation. We're going to see Jesus changing people's names. Uh, God was naming things in the Old Testament and that pattern continues into Jesus's life. Uh, Jesus had a disciple whose name was Simon and he changed his name to Peter. Uh, and that happened in Matthew sixteen eighteen. We saw God speak a blessing to the animals in the Old Testament, and we're going to see Jesus speak blessings in the New Testament, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And so what, these, these patterns that we're going to learn about God in the book of Genesis, we're going to see them continue. We're going to see that thread continue, not only through the pages of Genesis, but into the New Testament as well. So we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're studying the Bible with us at BSF. There is much that we can learn about God, his character, uh, and the way that he interacts with his people as we go through this book. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll let you enjoy the rest of your week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to people that are limited in a way that we can understand. We thank you for what you've given us in the book of Genesis, and Lord, there's much we still would like to know. I pray that you would keep teaching us. Keep showing us the things, keep revealing to us the things that are important for us to know about you. And Lord, help us understand how we can take those things and apply them to our lives. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us on Zoom next Monday at 7 p.m. to study God's creation of humanity as we discover our purpose, meaning, and destiny found only in our eternal God. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international interdenominational nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.